I have heard that you cannot counsel non-Christians with God's Word. I, I want to say that that is not true. You can. You can help anyone with the Bible. Non-Christian, Christian, it doesn't matter where they are. You can help anyone with the, with the Bible, no matter what their relationship with the Lord is like. The more relevant question is, how do you do it? What are some practical ideas that would, would help when talking to unbelievers? Whether you're in a counseling office, in a coffee shop, at your dining room table, at your bar in your kitchen, a friend at the workplace, someone that knows the Lord. I mean, part of what I'm, or why I'm saying what I'm saying here is because I, I want to release you and relieve you, because some people do make that connection. The connection is you can't counsel somebody with God's Word. Well, you, you can. And so the more relevant question is, how do you do it? What are some practical ideas that would help when talking to unbelievers? Well, that's what I want to share with you in this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. If you want to read this podcast, I would love for you to do that. You can read every word that I'm sharing with you, and that would be fantastic. Go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for this article. It's the same title as the podcast, How to Practice help non-Christians, in this case, with marriage problems. And so the title of the podcast in the article, How to Practically Help Non-Christians with Marriage Problems. But what I want you to understand, what I want you to know, is that it's really applicable to any non-Christian, not just people or non-Christians with marriage problems. The reason I've titled it as a couple with marriage problems who do not know the Lord is because I'm responding specifically to a question that someone asked on our website. But it has application in any context, any, any type of person. If it's a, a non-Christian and you, you have the Bible in your heart and on your desk, you can share it with them and make true connections that can help them. Now, I want to share the question that was sent in to me, and then I will jump into the meat of this article and the podcast. But I do want you to know that if you have a question that you want to ask us, you're welcome to do that. We have a team of people who would love nothing more than to answer your question. This here is an answer that we are that I am giving to someone, and so this is how we do it. And so if we can serve you, we have a free commitment community forum. And I want you to know that our forums are open to anyone, believers, unbelievers. We have a, a safe place for people to come to talk through whatever difficulty, relationship, challenge that they are going through. And so a disciple maker, I, maybe this lady who's asking this question, uh, is a biblical counselor. Well, we want to serve those too. So if you are a leader, ministry leader, pastor, counselor, it doesn't matter. Lay person, just your everyday congregant, well, please come to us. Or maybe you don't go to church and again, you don't know the Lord. Please come to us. Let me read to you the question that this individual wrote, and then I will jump into it. They said, I am counseling a non-Christian couple with marriage problems. The biggest holdup right now is that the wife, the feelings have died. 
They were doing much better, and divorce is off the table, praise God. But I cannot get her to see that her feelings will only follow her actions. She has been hurt many times by her husband and, and also her dad who divorced her mom. How can I get her? How can I help her to lower the wall of her feelings and be vulnerable? Now, as you can hear in what this individual is saying, that there are two, there are more, but there are two big problems here, and I can only deal with one of them in a in a thirty minute podcast. Now, one of the problems is she has her her feelings have died, and she's talking about getting her uh, her her feelings will come after she uh, acts as she does good things. Now that in itself is is a lot to talk about, especially in this situation because we're talking about a person who has been abused multiple times over a period of decades, and that is a world of problems. There are abuse issues, there's emotional issues, and as you know, emotional problems are are tied to our thought life. Emotions are a reflection of how we think. But if you have a person who has spent decades of being abused abused by her dad and, and by her father, her mind has been captivated, there are strongholds that are built up in her mind, and that takes a lot of work. Now, what I would appeal to you to do if you want to do more study in that, and if we can help you that way, I would encourage you to jump into this article and read some of the embedded links that I have in the article, and that will serve you very well. And we also have we have quite a few articles on abuse, and so that topic has been addressed, and, and we're ready to help you with it. But the other issue is that this person is not a believer, and so I am taking that angle in this podcast. And the reason I'm doing that, as I've stated already, there are some people who who honestly, sincerely believe that you can't help a person who doesn't know the Lord with the Bible. And I'm saying that is absolutely not true. God's Word is effective, and it can be transformative. I, actually, let me say it this way. Every Christian has been helped with the Bible when they were a non-Christian. Because it's the hearing of God's word that brings transformation, and you were you you heard and were were helped by God's word before you were a Christian, and that's how you became one. And so God's word can penetrate the unregenerate heart and impact them. But in this podcast, I want to take a a practical tact and and deal with a very specific slice of of all the problems that we could possibly have. And in this case, it's marriage problems. But again, you can apply these things to uh, anybody's life. Those who don't, don't know the Lord do have two problems. Uh, the first one is their lack of salvation, which is their most significant problem. And the second one in this in this scenario is their ongoing marital conflict. And so what you want to do, praying for their salvation should be the the undercurrent that is always happening while you are practically helping them with their recurring marriage problems. And so what I teach our students in our mastermind program that you always want to be communicating on two different levels. There's the horizontal level, and that's the person that you're talking to who's sitting right in front of you in the counseling office, the living room, or the coffee shop. And then there's the vertical level where you're always talking to God. It's kind of like praying without ceasing. It's that idea as you're asking God, help me, illuminate my mind. Uh, Please give me insight into this person that I am serving. Well, one of those vertical prayers would be, dear, dear God, 
dear God, would you would you penetrate the darkness of their hearts and would you regenerate them and give them the spiritual life that that they so desperately need? Only when they know Jesus will they be able to solve either problem in satisfying and comprehensive ways. But as you know, salvation is is something that God gives. It's not a mandate that you can dispense by telling them their need for Christ. And of course, you want to tell them. But your responsibility is to trust, to pray, to ask. That's the vertical communication that you have with the Lord while working horizontally, working hard to provide them with a few practical solutions to help them with their marriage struggles. And so with that as a backdrop, understanding that only God can regenerate and bring long-term sustaining transformative change, I do want to give you some practical ideas that will help them because you want to get them to that place to where they have inexhaustible power. They can implement tips and tricks and principles and concepts from the Bible, oh, most certainly, but it will not give them what they need for the long run. Inexhaustible power comes from the Lord. It's like plugging yourself into an outlet where the current is consistent and uninterrupted and and unlimited. And that analogy is what it's like to, to live the Christian life. But it's more than having just divine energy. To help us to persevere through difficulties, the Lord also gives us the right motivations for endurance. I mean, it's one thing to endure, and you do want to endure, and God gives you the power to do that, but you also want to do it with the right heart, with the right motivation, and the Lord does that as well. And so as you think about this couple, it's imperative that you have the right motivations, and the right motivations come from the gospel. Christians are gospel-motivated. They're gospel-empowered. They're gospel-sustained people. And you always want to keep the gospel in mind, and we do this by preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. Even when working with unbelievers, you never want, you never want your mind to drift from the gospel, from the knowledge of where real strength comes from. Not just the strength that they need, but the strength that you need. Because if you're in the long haul with a person who's not changing, like in this case, an unbeliever, there's a temptation to become discouraged. You can drift, or the gospel can can move to the periphery of your mind. And you can drift, thinking that this couple you know, will not change, or it cannot change. And so you want to have the right motivation, and you want to make sure you're sustained to the gospel as you hope that they will get connected as well. The best that they can do is they can drum up unsustainable, non-Christian motivations and practices for the short term to get them through another week or another month or another year. And certainly you can gain uh, tips from the Bible uh, to be able to do that, But there is nothing that they can do that will genuinely and lastingly work until they see their real need in Christ and respond biblically to it. And so you must keep the gospel goal, the gospel reality at the forefront of your mind to guard against discouragement. And then you also just pray and hope that they too will see the need for this long-term sustaining that only the gospel can give.
Biblical counseling does have drawbacks, especially when you are in a situation like this. There are inherent liabilities when helping people, especially those who are not changing. Now, maybe you're helping an unbeliever, and God grants repentance, and you just don't know when or if they will ever change as far as regeneration is concerned. Or maybe you're working with a believer, and you're just stymied, like, I don't know if they will ever change. And that's where biblical counseling has liabilities because there is a short-term window where you're working with someone. There's a start date and a stop date, and you're not sure that God's going to grant repentance within that window of when you meet them and the last time you meet them. And that's where you can you can be tempted to speed things up or even manipulate the situation because you want something to happen during that season that you are with them. And counseling unbelie- an unbeliever is more acute because they're the hope and the hope of the gospel you want to see activated in their souls and and you can forget that that you are God's water boy you're God's water girl as Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 3:6 your job is straightforward you must water and plant while never promoting yourself to the position of a change agent The Lord is the one who can bring the needed transformation into lives. If you happen to forget your place in the process, you may become impatient or even angry with an unchanging person. It would be like putting a high bar in front of a a toddler and demanding that that toddler jump it. They can't. They don't have what it takes to do something that is beyond their power and their ability to do it. And so as a disciple maker, you have a responsibility to share the transformative gospel with them. But that is the extent of your role in their lives. And you must find comfort in the privilege to do that much. But you must not go beyond God's intent for your job. And so now your heart is guarded, you are gospel-centered, you have preached it to yourself, and you have your parameters set. And you know you're not the change agent, but yet you are resting in this difficult process. Now, let's move over to, in this case, the person is asking about the wife. The wife in this case study has placed her faith, her trust, these are synonyms, faith, trust, hope, confidence, She's placed all of her faith in herself. She is rejecting God. She is making real-time choices because in her mind, she's the only one that she can trust, and you, you understand why. The ones that she has believed in before, in the past, the ones that she has had confidence in, they have disappointed her. And she's right She's absolutely right. Her disappointment is real. Now, this is a precarious position for any of us to be in as a caregiver because from her chair, it is the only choice that she has. She falls into the category of the sinning victim. Her victimization is real, and you never, ever, ever, ever want to minimize it. But you need the Lord's wisdom. You need his patience. You need his compassion, his courage. Uh, 
to help her to see that she has a misplaced faith. Her faith, again, is in herself and not in the Lord. And so you're working with these two tensions here, a true victim with real disappointment and horrific experiences, but yet you, you, you want to move her forward. And that's why biblical counseling can have inherent liabilities, because you could want to speed that process up, and that is oh so dangerous. You do have a way into her, by the way. I mean, think about this. She knows that she has to trust someone. She has to trust something. I mean, you have that insight. She's trusting herself. And so you know that she wants to trust someone. She's trusting herself. You know that she wants help. She's coming to you. She senses the need that there is something outside of herself, outside of her self-reliant construct. And she wants help to get through it. And so you have an in. You have this opportunity to get inside and, and, and to be able to serve her. And she wants you to do that. And so you don't want to be impatient with her. If you're impatient with her, it will make, it will make her feel all the rejections from her past. She has learned that others will let her down. So she is unwilling to be vulnerable. And that's one of the words that the questioner asks. How can I help her to lower the barrier so, so that she can be vulnerable? In this case, be vulnerable to her husband. That's a long putt in this lady's life. It can happen, but it's going to take a lot of work. But you have an in with her. And so you want to help her maybe be vulnerable, but first she needs to be vulnerable with God. Her experience is the sadness and the complexity of being sinned against by those whom she has trusted. But you can flip the horrible history, her horrible history, on its head by showing the redemptive side of a human relationship. Show her another kind of human relationship that is so counter to all the relationships that she has had in her life. Take her experience and flip it on its head. Now, you might not be taking exact phrases and verses from the Bible, thus saith the Lord. In fact, I probably wouldn't recommend that, but you can be that replica of those passages as you live them out before her. And so rather than telling her about Jesus, though you most certainly can do that, you can also be Jesus to her. Now, please hear what I'm not saying. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you withhold the written word from her. You'll have to discern this. If she comes to you with an antagonistic or hostile relationship with the Lord, then you maybe want to you maybe want to be a little slower with your gospel with your Bible bullets. But I'm not saying that you should withhold them. That's a wisdom issue, insight. You have to discern, intuit this. If she's interested in hearing about it, sure. But this I do want you to know, and you absolutely can do. You can imitate the word in unambiguous ways. For example, as you've listened to this podcast thus far, I have talked about or I have implied the following things that could have a crazy impact 
on an unregenerate soul. I want to give you a list of eight things that I have either said explicitly or I implied. One, compassion. You can sympathize with her. Think about how compassion is so counter to her other human relationships. And that's what I mean by flipping this idea, flipping her past history into a new way that she just hasn't experienced before. And that's where you become a replica of the gospel. Compassion, you can sympathize with her. Number two, kindness. You can turn the other cheek when she becomes angry. Imagine how many times she's become angry with someone and and they have retaliated kind for kind. Well, you can be kind to her by turning the other cheek, overlooking her offenses. And as she sees that kindness, she begins to cock her head and realize there's something different going on here. What are you doing? You're being Jesus to her. Number three, patience. You don't give up on her or reject her. How many people have given up? How many people have rejected her in her life? Number four, confidence. Confidence is a synonym for faith. I'm talking about God-centered confidence, not self-confidence. As you are confident in God's Word, your faith, you show the faith that you have in God's Word to change her. Number five, discernment. You present the clarity of God's answers versus what she cynically believes. She has this interpretation of who God is and what God's going to do. She's cynical and suspicious. Well, you you have discernment, and, and you penetrate through that with the discernment of God's Word. Again, it cocks the head, and it raises the eyebrow, and it gets you to think differently. Joy. You show a more profound peace that is foreign to her way and to her experience. And then finally, or uh, seven, I think, friendship. Jesus is your friend, John 15, 15. Jesus is your friend, and you know what it means experientially. Show her a new kind of relationship. And then number eight, prayer. Pray with her. Pray for them Show them that there is someone you can trust outside of yourself. Let her see your vulnerability. Let her see your need not to trust yourself, but to trust the Lord. There is much, much more, but you get the idea. Your transformed life, your deportment, your responses are profound messages that she will remember long after your words fade from her mind. Another inherent liability of counseling, your words will fade. It'll be hard to remember. They will move into the no- into the backdrop of all the noise that's going on in her life. But a visual representation of Jesus, she will long remember. Now, perhaps she will not submit to the Lord in a salvific way. Okay. That's not your job anyway. You're merely watering and and planting while trusting the Lord for a future harvest. Now, in the meantime, you can give your friend some tips, some help, some techniques, some principles from the Bible that will encourage her. What I'm suggesting here is that you take a behavioral modification approach for the glory of God. Uh, All my biblical counselor friends are like, ah, no behavioral modification. Yes, behavioral modification for the glory of God. The Bible is a super practical book. It's, it's not so mysterious that you can't paraphrase. 
some of its ideas for the unregenerate mind to grasp, intrigue her by telling her how anger reveals the heart. Use the teaching of Jesus in 645 of Luke. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I guarantee you she'll understand that concept. Take James's teaching in James 4, 1 and 2, where he talks about anger. Go, go to where Paul talked about sin capturing us in, in Galatians 6, 1. She's going to understand the analogy of the root and the fruit. You talk about an orchard, she'll get it. Talk about the analogy of a bear trap. You step into a bear trap. That's what Paul's talking about. I mean, that's a good picture of what Paul's talking about. It will make much sense to her, and it will provoke her to give more than a courtesy nod to the Bible. The, re the relevance of that old book, it, it will do more than raise an eyebrow for this lady, and so do that. Now, please understand, I'm not assuming that you have unlimited time with this person. I rarely have that kind of time for a person in a situation like this. You know, I talked about the inherent liabilities of, of counseling, where it's short term, you got a stop date, a start date, stop date, six sessions, 12 sessions. A lot of people can devote that. But in this situation, you don't want to truncate it, as I've already said. But with that said, I'm not assuming that you have unlimited time with this person. It depends on who always asking you for help. I have a lot of people asking me for help, and so I, I can't do counseling. I had a request this week for someone wanting to meet with me. And typically, it's not unusual. Every week, someone's asking that they want to meet with me. And unfortunately, I, I just can't do that because of the, all the demands of this ministry. And maybe you're in a similar way. There are your Peter, James, and John friends who are your inner circle, and you do want to devote more time. They want to get the best time on your calendar. And then there are the multitudes, which this person may fit into that category. And it might not be possible for you to give them prime real estate on your calendar. That's a decision that you have to make if you're married. That's a decision that you would make uh, within your marriage. You can't be everything to everybody. But if you have the time and it does not interfere with your more cru crucial relationships, God, your spouse, your children, your close friends, church responsibilities, if that's true and you can devote, then you want to play the long game that is well-paced and not sped up to move her along the salvation, sanctification timeline. Too often, the busyness of our lives can tempt us toward impatience with those who aren't changing fast enough according to how we want them to change, according to our timetable. At some point, you do want to convey to them how their more significant problem does go deeper than their marital conflict and past abuses. And so while not making those hurts inappropriately smaller... The past abuses, you don't want to make them inappropriately smaller than they are, but you do want to show them that there is a, a more prominent mountain in their lives or in this, in this lady's life, and you hope that when they see that more prominent mountain that it has a, a cross on it, and they will be more receptive and, more importantly, more responsive 
to God. I do want to make one more comment. I'm not going to finish everything that I've written here. The podcast that you are listening to, How to Practically Help Christians with Marriage Problems. I would encourage you to read everything that I'm sharing with you, including the call to action at the end. But I want to close by drawing attention to your secret weapon. I haven't mentioned your secret weapon yet, or not in an explicit way. The person in the counseling office that I have not mentioned is actually the counselor, and that's with a a big C. We call him the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Our more conservative friends call him the Holy Ghost, and that is fine. Sometimes we can forget this relieving and transformative truth and think that we are the primary counselor, disciple, or friend. It's an easy mistake to make, especially as we meander through the wood weeds of an individual's problems. The Spirit of God will help you in at least four ways. He will eliminate your mind with otherworldly insight, number one. Number two, knowing that you're not the primary counselor will cause you to rest, number three. He will go where no man has gone before, which is the heart of the hurting person. And number four, even though you may not speak directly to the husband, which we haven't talked about in this situation, it doesn't matter in this sense. The Spirit of God can multitask at a level that you cannot entirely imagine. Rely on your ally. He will help you. Don't oversteer the car. Don't attempt to manipulate the person toward an outcome that you won't They may erect human barriers because they fight with human weaponry, but God can be irresistible, and his arsenal is divine. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Again, the title, How to Practically Help Non-Christians with Marriage Problems. If we can serve you in any way, you want to talk about this, you want to talk about something else, just please let us know. We would love to chat. Thank you so much for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.